I love that we get to do that. And so we're just going to keep updating you as a church family through the process. One of the things that I, I value as a pastor and that I want to make very clear in our, in our church family is that I want us to be transparent and let you know what's going on and what's happening so you can feel like you are in the know as much as we can, okay? So we'll keep letting you know what's going on so you can know how to pray, so you can know how to be involved, and so you can know what to expect, all right? We'll keep doing that as we keep growing together. Let's go ahead and go over to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to wrap up our series today called The Messengers. We've been talking about how God has called us all to be messengers of his grace. And we're going to talk about Timothy today, who was a disciple of the apostle Paul. Paul was his mentor. Timothy was the mentee. And he began to invest in young Timothy's life. And we're going to talk about that in Acts 16. And we've been doing this all year long, focusing on this idea of embracing identity, meaning that we want to be who God has called us to be as a church. We want to be who God has called us to be as individuals, and we want us to collectively be able to unify and move in one singular direction that we believe that God has called us. And so we came up with this vision statement, and we celebrated this and launched this at the first of the year, but I just want to remind you of it again. Our vision at BCC is to connect people in the Quad Cities to a transforming relationship with Jesus and to grow through finding belonging in a healthy, authentic church community that is known for how we serve one another and others to impact every generation beyond our lifetime. And I believe that with all of my heart, and I believe that's who God has called us to be. But that is a mouthful, so we simplified it. So simply, we put it this way. To connect, to grow, and to serve is really what we believe that God has called us to do here at BCC. We look logistically at where God has placed us and we say, well, we're in the Quad Cities and we believe that God has called us to connect people to Jesus in this area. And we know that there's a great mission field out there all around us. Amen? And we want to connect people because we know that Jesus can transform not only their life here, but more importantly, their eternity. And we want people to be transformed by the power of the gospel. And so we want to make that a big part of our focus to connect people to that. And we also want people to grow. And we believe that the best type of growth is going to happen in discipling relationships. And we want people to grow through connecting in an authentic, healthy church community. So our goal is to be a healthy church in every sense of the word, to be healthy Christians who are growing and getting stronger and healthier as we learn to follow God and as we learn to serve him and serve one another with the love that he's given us and with the equipping and the tools that he gives us to be able to serve each other with as he's working on our hearts and as he's made us new and helping us to grow in this process of sanctification and then serving, serving one another and then serving others as well. So it's just as much about us serving each other. And as Jesus said, that the disciples are called to wash each other's feet and that we also serve outside of the context of our church family as well to be able to impact every generation beyond our lifetime. So that means that when all of us are long gone from this earth, that BCC is still being the church God has called it to be, amen? And that the gospel is still being proclaimed and that people are still living in light of eternity with eternal priority because of what God has done and because we have been saying yes to greater things and creating that type of a church and that type of a culture here at BCC. So let's go over to the book of Acts and let's read 
chapter 16, just the first few verses here. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there who was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way throughout the cities, they delivered them to them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. So here we see Paul saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to come with me and I want you to follow me and I'm going to disciple you and give you some experiences to be able to start out in the ministry that God has called you to. So he's using this concept of relational discipleship and relational mentoring with Timothy. And there's a quick way that I was taught years ago, and maybe you've heard this because it's not original. It's not something that, you know, is proprietary by any stretch, but if you've heard it before, before, a great way to look at mentoring relationships is really in these three ways. The first step in a mentoring relationship is I do as the mentee, as the mentor, and the mentee watches. So I do, you watch, and then we talk about it. So you talk about what you saw me do, you saw what you observed. The second thing in a mentoring relationship is we do together. And then we talk. So both the mentor and the mentee do whatever it is they're being trained on together. And then we, we go back and we talk about what it is that you learn. The last step is that you do, and then I, as the mentor, watch. And then when we're done, we talk. So I do, you watch, let's talk. We do together, let's talk. And then you do, I watch, let's talk. And those are really three steps in this process. And here Paul is taking young Timothy through this. And this works in any mentoring type relationship, whether it be with your children, whether it be with uh, employees, coworkers, whether it be with someone you're discipling and mentoring and investing in, is that you want to set an example and show them something, but then you want them to do it together and kind of be able to have uh, uh, that opportunity to serve together. And then you want them to have an opportunity to do it on their own too. But being able to kind of walk that out as a healthy process shameless plug serve the cities is a great way to do this so if you haven't gotten involved in serve the cities it would be a great opportunity for you and your family your grandchildren your children your nieces your nephews uh, your friends your neighbors your spouse whatever uh, a person you've been investing in and discipling someone that you've been building a friendship with whatever it may be that you say hey why don't you and I go do this and maybe for a, a part of it you say hey just watch me interact with these people and watch how I do this all right now let's go do it together now you come with me all right now what'd you think about that all right now now why don't you go talk to the next person and and, and then when you're done I'm just kind of going to watch and then once you come back and tell me how it went now how all that happened. You'll be able to empower that person to be able to grow. What a great way for you to use an opportunity. And that's what we're trying to do here at BCC. And a lot of what Pastor Barry is going to try to create is more of those opportunities for our church family to actually begin to do some of those things. It doesn't have to happen within the context of things that the church organizes, but man, it sure does make it a little bit easier to kind of get some of that low-hanging fruit to be able to do some of these things, at least to get yourself started in this idea of accomplishing the vision that God has called for us. Because we all have spent a lot of time, if you've been in church for a while, you've spent a lot of time learning lots of things. And learning lots of things is good. I'm for education, I'm for learning, I'm for us sitting in classes and going to conferences and going and learning and reading books, all that stuff is great. 
But there's got to come a time in the life of a Christian where we take all that learning and we go do something with it. Because if all we're doing is just wanting to learn, 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 and we're not doing, then we're doing what James said, that we're actually deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves because we're hearers of the word, but not doers. And I don't want us to be a church full of people who are self-deceived, thinking that we're spiritual and we're doing something good because we know a lot of stuff. Knowing stuff is great, but we got to do stuff too with what we've learned. I mean, it's great that you went out and bought that new thing, but until you learn how to use it and actually use it, it's just sitting pretty on a shelf, right? And so you and I have to learn how to step out in faith with what we've been equipped to do and actually do something and not just pursue learning for learning's sake. There should be a purpose to learning. The purpose of learning should be to equip me so I can go out and do this stuff, so I can go out and actually be the salt and light in the darkness that God has called us to be as the church, amen? Amen. And I love how Paul takes this relationship with Timothy, and one of the things that he wants Timothy to do, that Timothy submits to, is to be circumcised. And like when you're a baby, you know, not that big of a deal because you don't really remember that. As an adult, Timothy grew up with a Jewish mom and a Jewish grandma, and he grew up with a Greek father. And so here he comes from this blended family of religious ideas. And so we see that Paul attributes a lot of Timothy's faith to his grandmother and his mother when he opened up his letter in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I thank God you know, for, for Eunice and for Lois and your, your grandmother and your mother because I know they were sincere women of faith and I know the same faith that was in them. Timothy, I know that's in you too. And so, so he said, I'm, I'm reminding you because of that investment from those women for you to stir up and fan the flame of the gift of God that's on the inside of you when I laid my hands on you and not give in to this spirit of fear because that didn't come from God, Tim. Uh, that God doesn't give you that. God gives you a, a spirit of power, love, and a, and a sound mind, not this fearful, worried mind. So trust in him and trust in what was invested in you. And so again, he's talking to Timothy about generational mentoring, generational investing. And Timothy submits to this idea of circumcision for the purpose of actually reaching more people with the gospel. He didn't submit to circumcision because that made him a Christian. Because Paul very clearly states throughout Romans and through other places in the gospel, when the Judaizers were wanting to come in and try to tell people in Galatia and different, different places throughout his ministry, they were trying to say, well, if you're not circumcised, you can't be a Christian. And, and Paul saying, no, that's, that's not true. It's more about the circumcision of a heart, not the circumcision of flesh made with hands, but rather it's the circumcision of a heart. So it's cutting away that dead thing from your heart and actually allowing God to give you a new heart. And so that was the purpose of the gospel. But he's saying, I know these Jewish guys won't listen to Timothy, no matter how good of a speaker he is, no matter how powerful his ministry is. I know they won't listen to him and give him an audience unless we do this because they're always going to say, well, that's the kid with the Greek dad. And so he tells Timothy, you need to do this. And Timothy trusts him to be able to go through with this. What a big deal for him to actually have to, to actually trust someone, to be able to say, okay, I'm willing to submit and go through this because It's more important for these people to be reached than for me just to not go through with this. And so he takes something that's non-essential to his salvation. And he makes a decision that I'm going to inconvenience myself. And I'm even willing to go through some pain on purpose, intentionally. Because I want to reach people that otherwise I would have a harder time reaching. 
Because now they say, oh, well, didn't you have a Greek dad? Yeah, but I was circumcised. Oh, oh, okay. Then all of a sudden now they start listening. And it's not that he did this because he was trying to earn favor with God or because he was, had anything to do with his salvation, because it didn't. So, so the point of that in my mind that relates to us nowadays is that I think that there's things that God's going to call us to do that are going to be uncomfortable for us, but it's going to help us to be able to be better positioned to reach people for the kingdom of God. Because it's not all about us, our comfort, or our preferences, amen? It's about us making sure that we understand who's around us and saying, yes, Lord, now I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change my values. I'm not going to, to, to change my stance or my compromise of who God has called me to be. But maybe there's some things different that I have to look at through a different lens because I want to reach the people that are around me. And that can be hard sometimes because we often love our own preferences and what makes us comfortable. But Timothy said, I'll be willing to be uncomfortable to be able to reach other people because I understand that it's more important for me to be able to communicate the gospel effectively than it is for me to say, well, it doesn't matter. And then I argue with them and now we're just going back and forth over something that's not even essential to salvation. And so many times Christian people get caught up in arguments that have nothing to do with salvation have nothing to do with something being important to salvation. It's just, just a matter of preference. In church, for us to be effective, we're going to have to cut those things out and let those things go and say, Lord, who do you want us to be? And how can we reach the people you've called us to reach? And so that may mean that we get our hands dirty. That may mean that we're doing some things that, man, it, it may be out of the ordinary for us. It may be out of our comfort zone. But that's okay because we want to reach people. Amen. We're not going to compromise our message. We're not going to compromise who we are. But we are going to say, Lord, show us how to reach these people. Because we want to make sure that the gospel is being shared effectively, not only to our generation, not only to our context, not only to what we like, but Lord, what about those that have yet to be reached and those who have yet to hear the gospel and respond? So we have to get this idea of connecting, growing, and serving because we want to ensure our faith is passed down to the next generation, amen? And that's not gonna happen just because we keep the doors open and keep meeting. If that's all it took was just to keep the doors open and keep meeting and keep gathering, then we would be effectively accomplishing the mission of investing and impacting the next generation and no church would struggle with that because then the goal would just be to stay open and keep gathering. That's a part of it, yes, but that's not all there is to it. Let me tell you this. We must start modeling this idea of connecting, of growing, of serving in our homes first. Yes? yes. We have to model this idea because it can't be just something that we talk about on Sunday and it has to be done on purpose because just thinking that it's going to happen just because we're Christian people, man, that's us deceiving ourselves because spiritual growth happens best in that context of relationships and it's done on purpose, it's done intentionally. It's something that we don't just hope happens, it's something that we do on purpose. Because think about it, if we just waited around for all of the things in life that we think we should have, should have or, or that should happen in our lives, I, th I think we would be very disappointed. I remember when I was younger and first starting out in adulthood that I thought that by certain like age benchmarks, I would have accomplished certain things and it would just kind of happen, you know? Like I would just naturally one day just become good 
at handling money. I will just naturally one day become physically fit. I would just naturally one day, you know, become a good time manager. I would just naturally one day, like, I just thought the ebbs and flows of life would kind of produce some of these things naturally. And people do this. One day, if I just keep going to church, I'll naturally just be a really strong follower of Jesus. Or people make this mistake. I think that one day naturally my kids will just love Jesus because we just keep coming to church. No, it's intentional living. It's me saying, no, I'm going to do some intentional things to make sure that hearts and focuses are pointed in the right direction. That means I need to learn some things. I need to do some things I wasn't wasn't doing before because if I just hope one day I'm naturally going to get fit or one day I'm naturally going to get healthy or whatever the case may be and I don't make any intentional decisions around that, I'm fooling myself. And then 20, 30 years is going to go by and I look back and I'm like, man, I'm really unhealthy. I thought things would be different by now. Or people look back and they go, I thought I'd be able to handle money better by now. Well, have you tried to learn anything and apply what you've learned? Have you sat under anyone to try to help you with things? Like, have you really like been honest and vulnerable? Have you done the work and put in the work to be intentional? Because a lot of those things come from intentionality. They don't just happen as a byproduct. So many of us think that, oh, what, these things are just gonna happen. No, no, no. A person who's living on mission understands that these things that need to happen in the life of a believer are gonna happen because we're doing them on purpose. We're investing on purpose. We're exposing ourselves to the right environments and putting ourselves in those situations on purpose. We're making decisions to do certain things and to abstain from certain things on purpose because we're living intentionally and we're living in light of eternity because you can't just look at your calendar and go, oh man, there's just, there's just no time to be able to just serve like we want to serve. Oh, if we just weren't so busy, we would be able to be more involved, be more connected. Well, guess what? That's never going to change because I don't know if you've been following the trends lately, but it's not like on the cover of, you know, uh, Time Magazine or whatever, uh, Americans starting to get slower pace of life. New reports are just in. Everyone's slowing down and has plenty of margin in their schedule. That's not being reported because it's not happening. And guess what? It's not going to happen. So we can keep making the busy excuse all day long, or we can say, I'm going to make margin. I'm going to be intentional. And I'm going to have to say yes to this and no to that because I want to live on purpose and live intentionally. Oh, man, I'd love to be able to give to this missionary or that missionary. or I'd be able to love to be able to support this or support that. But, uh, oh, man, things are just so tight and blah, blah, blah. We just can't do this. Be intentional. Start making a decision. Start somewhere. Amen? But if you just keep thinking it's going to happen one day where you're going to be in a situation where all of a sudden you've got all this extra time, all this extra money, all this extra energy, it's not going to happen. If you're just sitting around dreaming for that day to just happen, maybe it'll be tomorrow. That tomorrow will never come. It's going to happen when you build that into your life on purpose. And that's intentional living. That's eternal priority. That's the type of stuff Jesus was talking about when he said in Matthew 6 and 33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff you've been trying to figure out, God will help you take care of that. But seek first the kingdom. What are the kingdom priorities I need to have in my life that are simply non-negotiables? What are some rhythms I need to put into my life? What are some unhealthy rhythms that need to stop? Stop the chaos. And how can I start saying yes to greater eternal things? And how can I model that for my family? How can I show my children that, my grandchildren? How can I show my friends that? How can I show my sphere and my circle of influence that? 
It's going to happen when we decide to do it on purpose. And I believe those are some of the things the Apostle Paul was modeling and showing. Because from this point on, where Timothy joins the team, we can pretty much assume that a lot of these stories up to the time that Paul gets arrested, Timothy was probably there, more than likely, for a lot of these things that you read past that point. You go, wow, what that been like? And maybe Paul said, hey, Timothy, why don't, why don't you go and speak to this group this time? Hey, Timothy, why don't you try to do this? Or why don't you do that? Could you imagine some of the things that might have happened that maybe Scripture doesn't speak to? I just think that that's an interesting way to look at that because he was investing in him. He was speaking to him. And then even after Paul gets arrested, he still writes to Timothy. He said, I want to see you, man. I love you. I care about you. Here's what I'm thinking about you. Here's my heart towards you. I know what you're going through. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of who you are. Let's go over to Acts 16 and verse 11. Scripture says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, where the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there were a place of prayer. There was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one of one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, she and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, this lady, Lydia, did some really awesome things. She was one of these ladies who was a wealthy lady because in this area of Thyatira, um, there was a great wealth, especially associated with like selling purple linens and things like that because of the dyes that they had there. And so we can gather from this text that Lydia was an influential person because she was someone who gathered women together to pray. And she had a, a base knowledge and understanding of some things and wanted to be a person of prayer. And then here comes Paul. And what's Paul doing? He's looking for an opportunity. He's going around going, where is there an opportunity? And he said, there's a gathering over here we heard about where these women always gather to pray. We want them to hear the gospel. We're looking, our antennas are raised to be able to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Do you see the intentionality of Paul? That Paul is actually going to an area and he's looking for opportunity and he hears about this prayer group. And he says, can I share about Jesus with you guys? And he shares, I'm sure, his story or, of conversion and he shares about how Jesus died on the cross and, and shares the gospel with them and then they believe. And then what do they immediately want to do after Paul ministers the gospel to them? They're like, we, we just want to be available to serve. What can we do? How can we be a part of this? How can we link arms with you? And so what Lydia does is she actually begins to open her home. And her home becomes a place of refuge for the early church where they gathered to worship, where they gathered for safety, where they gathered to be mentored and, and ministry happened. And Lydia was very key and instrumental in the first church because this lady who just got gripped by the gospel, her next step, she, didn't, she, she wasn't told to do this. She said, hey, I, I've got a big house. Can that be used as a resource? Can I, can I offer this? As ministry? Like, what, what do you guys need? Let me take care of you guys. Let me minister to you. Let me provide a, a space, whatever I need to do, because of how she was gripped by the gospel. And Paul just being intentional. Paul seeing an opportunity. 
And we see that these relationships in the early church, that God used these connections to spread the gospel because people began to look at their lives, their possessions, their homes, and everything. Everything was to be centered around Christ and around this Christ-centered community and growing together in discipling relationships. So this lady, you can read other stories about her where she becomes influential simply because she looks at things through a different lens than she looked at it before. She begins to think differently about her life. And now she wants to use those things as an opportunity to begin to serve. So connect, grow, serve, church. The next generation is looking at what we prioritize. The next generation is looking at how we spend the resources of our time, our energy, our talents, our treasure. The next generation is watching. And they're seeing how, what's important to us. And they're seeing what we say. And then they're seeing what we do. Do those things line up? Do those things match up? Or are we just learning and learning and not doing and deceiving ourselves? I believe God has called BCC to be a church of action. Yes, we need to be a church that learns and grows in learning. But we need to take that learning and actually be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Amen? Amen. A heart that is in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It rejects entitlement and it embraces opportunity. When we are in awe of the gospel, we are thinking less about ourselves and we're thinking less about what we think we deserve because a person who feels entitled only thinks about themselves and what they believe they deserve, either because of what I've been through, what I've done, what I've experienced. I deserve this. That's what an entitled person thinks about. They think about, I, I, I've earned this, I deserve this. A person who's in awe of the gospel rejects entitlement mentality and says, no, I'm not thinking about what I deserve. I think about grace, what I didn't deserve. <laughs> because grace is not me getting what I earned or what I deserve. Grace is me getting what I didn't deserve. What did I not deserve, man? I didn't deserve forgiveness, but I got it anyways. That doesn't make sense to me, so I'm in awe. I'm in awe that God made a way where there was no way by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of the world. And simply by me putting my faith and trust in that and by me repenting, me turning away and walking in this newness of life and embracing this newness of life, I, I, can, I can find hope where I didn't have hope. I can find a new start where I, did, where, where I was destined to be eternally separated from God. I find a new love that I didn't have before. All of these things, everything becomes new, all simply because I got what I didn't deserve. Yeah, I'll take what I didn't deserve over what I think I did deserve. That's the gospel. And so when we understand the gospel, when we hear the gospel, and we're in awe of the gospel, our response should be one that embraces opportunity. Because it's not like, well, Joe came up here and talked to us about basketball. I guess I'm going to go help out the kids and uh, basketball. I was going to spread that mulch that's been sitting in my driveway for a week this next week, you know, when he has it, but I mean, whatever. I mean, they need help. No, it's not that. Like, that's not the type of attitude that is in all of the gospel. That's the attitude of just thinking about self. The attitude that rejects entitlement says, wow, I get to do this. I get to be a part of this. And I'm responding to the gospel and what Jesus has done. And it's amazing because I'm in awe of it. Church, there's opportunity all around us in the Quad Cities to be messengers of grace. Amen? Amen. 
It takes us prioritizing the things that matter to God and denying ourselves. We have to be in awe of the gospel in order to show the next generation that we want to impact eternity beyond our lifetime. We want to see eternity impacted beyond our lifetime. There's a scripture that I know I've brought up a lot as your pastor, and I'm going to bring it up again and again and again because I have one book that I preach from. And, <laughs> and I, I, so I'm going to say a lot of the same things again. But this, these are words of life, amen? amen. And over in the book of Judges, um, I think about this scripture, and this is no joke. Like I'm not just saying this for like dramatic effect or anything. Like this is, this is the truth. I think about this scripture at least probably once a day, I would say. Sometimes more than that because I think about it so often. This scripture is like permanently written in my heart and in my mind and it motivates me. Um, sometimes I wake up in the morning with this scripture on my mind. That's how much God has drilled this text into my heart. And the context of what we're going to read in Judges chapter 2 is that you remember the children of Israel who were God's chosen special people that he called and set apart for his own special purposes. They had been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. You're talking about generational slavery here. Kids born into slavery and it's literally all they know. So this is an entire generation that only knows what life is like as a slave. And you're not talking about a few hundred people. You're talking about over a million people who all they know is slavery. This is their normal. And God says, no, those are my people. And so he calls up a man named Moses. And he says, Moses, you're going to tell Pharaoh, you're going to tell the, the highest leader of the land, you're going to tell the, the superpower of the world at that time that he's going to let my people go. So Moses goes and tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. And it takes a while, but Pharaoh eventually lets him go. And then they cross over the Red Sea on dry ground because God causes the sea to miraculously part. And they walk across on dry ground with all their stuff, you know, like horses and, 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 and supplies. And, and all these people walk across the Red Sea on dry ground as it's just parted probably for quite a while, you know, to take that many people and their belongings and animals and all that stuff across. And then God feeds them miraculously. He gives them the Ten Commandments miraculously. He saves them from sickness miraculously. They experience miracle after miracle. Gives them water and food miraculously from a rock, from heaven. Like all kinds of crazy stuff happens. And then Moses dies right before he gets to enter into the promised land. He got to see it, but he couldn't go in it. And so there they are right at the edge where the Jordan River is. So now there's a, a new body of water separating them from where God has called them to be. And God raises up a leader called Joshua who Moses had been mentoring. And now Joshua is leading the people. And Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River because the priests take the Ark of the Covenant and they go stand in the Jordan River and it rolls up to one side, Scripture says. And the people walked across dry ground again into the promised land where God had called them. But the story wasn't over because there were battles to, to fight. There were things that God still was going to do in them, even though they were walking into this promised land because there were giants in the land. The land looked great, but man, there were giants. And, and some of the people were like, man, we look like grasshoppers to them. And, and like, no, just, just God is going to give us victory. But what about this big city of Jericho and their fortified walls? God's going to give us victory. And he did. He gave, he gave the people of Israel victory. And they saw victory after victory after victory. And then it's all over. And then Joshua says, okay, this tribe, you take this part of the land. This tribe, you take this part of the land. And then he gives this great speech. 
And you know a part of this speech because you've shopped at Hobby Lobby before and you've seen it on some piece of wood. And you may even have it hanging up in your house. He gives this great speech and he says, you guys, here we are. Take possession of what God's called us to do. All you different tribes. He said, and you guys, if you want to, you can go back and serve the gods of Egypt if that's what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And you just think after that, after everybody's like, yeah, right? And it's like everybody's just like jacked up, right? And I mean, like God's brought us this victory and everybody's pumped about it. And then immediately we turn the page and we read Judges chapter 2, the scripture that's always on my heart. Verse 8. Judges chapter 2 and verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. They buried him with the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's the scripture that I wake up with on my mind. That's what I think about. How, after all of that, after all of that amazing story, how did there arise a generation after all those, after all those people died? And we don't know. The scriptures doesn't say. It doesn't give us a clear explanation. All it says is that after all those awesome things happen, Joshua gives this great speech, and they live in the land, and then Joshua lives out 110 years. How amazing is that? He dies, and then so does all the rest of that generation that experienced that great move of God. But after they all died, the next generation that came up, they didn't know God. They didn't know him. They didn't know what he'd done for Israel. They'd rejected it. They become indifferent. You know, the Quad Cities is on this list that Barna put out a couple years ago where it says the Quad Cities is the 15th in the nation most post-Christian areas. And I know I've shared this statistic with you several times. We are strategically placed for such a time as this, I believe, for a divine time as this, I believe that Bettendorf Christian Church is not here by accident or because somebody had an idea to have a church. I believe it's God-ordained. Amen? Don't you believe that? You believe we're here because God ordained us to be here, not just because somebody had a good idea, right? Because you got to believe that. <laughs> you got to believe this is a God thing, that the reason we're here, and I believe we're here at this moment, at this time, is because God ordained this moment and this time. And I believe that we've heard the scriptures preached today, and we've heard this word, and he's called us to connect, to grow, to serve. He's called us to be on mission. He's called us to be a people who are living intentionally, because let it not be said of BCC that there arose a generation after all of us are long and gone that doesn't know God because we're going to invest and create environments and opportunities for people to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to serve Jesus even in this post-Christian culture. I believe that BCC is gonna be an integral part of us getting off of those types of lists in the Quad Cities. I believe that we have to have a dependence on the Holy Spirit we have to have the gifts of the Spirit in operation in our lives with His boldness, with His power. Amen? Because we're not that great <laughs> on our own. But with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? 
So I want to read one more scripture before we go in Psalm 78. I've read the scripture before, but it gripped my heart when I was at the 180 fundraising banquet a few weeks ago. And I said, I'm going to I want to remember that one because I want to share that with our church because that connects to the vision that God's called us to. And when I heard them shared, it's a part of their vision as well. And I believe this scripture is a part of our vision too that God has called us to. Psalm 78, verse one. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, from their children, but we will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's who we're called to be, amen? To invest intentionally on purpose. I love where, where the psalmist here says, even the kids who haven't been born yet are gonna know about God because of the way that we're living and how intentional we're gonna be. Even the ones, if, if you know someone who's expecting a child right now, or maybe if you're expecting a child right now, we wanna make sure that BCC is the type of church community and family that your kid is gonna know about the gospel that's not even on the scene yet. We believe that, amen? amen. And we're gonna live with that type of a priority. I wanna celebrate some things that God has been doing Every quarter, we kind of want to give a little report to you from everything that's happened over the past three months. And there's three things that are involved with connect, grow, and serve that we want to share with you. Over the past three months, we've had four people baptized that have made that decision to say, yes, I want people to know that I'm following Jesus now. There have been 21 people say yes to greater things by saying, I feel called to be a part of this church family, and I want to sync up and connect with that. And there have been 15 people who weren't serving before raise their hand and go, where can I serve? How can I help? I want to be a part of that. And that's awesome because it takes all of us. Amen? Amen. This is not just a one-person deal or just a staff thing or whatever. No, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. And this is amazing that we get to see how God has, has moved in our church over the past few months. And we're going to keep celebrating these things and more as we see what God is doing. Amen? So let's be intentional and let's be doers of the word, amen? So God, thank you for this opportunity for us to hear your word today. Thank you for this opportunity for us to be moved and for us to be stirred. And Lord, for us to be messengers of your grace. Let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers and go forth into the mission that you've called us to in our homes, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, in our spheres of influence, for your kingdom to see the Quad Cities and beyond come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you're where you can, I want to invite you just to be able to help out with chairs. Um, if you can help us stack chairs and hang around for a few minutes. If you can't, that's fine, but uh, I was asked to mention that. But before you go, number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. Amen. Have an awesome week, BCC. You're dismissed.